morning. Uh, just so you guys know, for the last couple days, but particularly yesterday, I was really, really sick and out of it. Um, and this morning is not much better. Um, so if, I'll, if my eyes sort of close, like just assume that I'm praying. <laughs> and if I'm leaning on the, po- on the podium, assume that I really want you to hear what I'm saying. Um, and just act accordingly. Um, <clears throat> but honestly, uh, pray, pray for me, um, and and just pray that that the Lord would speak. He is strong in weakness, and so we'll we'll pray for that this morning. Um, if you would join me in prayer, and then we'll we'll jump in. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that. that you knew that we needed each other. And you knew that we needed your words. So you gave us your word. You gave us, you gave us the Bible. You gave us the church, family. You knew that we needed to re-energize and rest, so you instated the Sabbath. You gave us the gathering of the saints for corporate worship. So right now, we pray that your spirit would be here with us, present in a unique way as we corporately worship you now through hearing your word. Um, Speak through me, God. Um, Uphold me, and more than that, uphold your words. Move in power so that through your gospel we might be transformed. Amen. You're going to notice uh, one uh, difference, and that is that this is the slide. This is it. So um, <clears throat> if you are a note taker, I'll try and repeat things that maybe are a little bit more important, but just go ahead and take notes. And if you miss a little bit of it, uh, it's available online tomorrow. Uh, so, so feel free to do whatever it is you need to do and then catch whatever you missed. Uh, tomorrow uh, on on our website, or you can subscribe to our podcast. It's on iTunes. Um, I think there's a link on the city uh, if you're particularly interested in that. <clears throat> uh, but there there are no slides, partially because I usually do slides uh, Friday and Saturday, and Friday and Saturday I was miserable. Partially because there's just so much. We're going through chapters 40 and 41. And there's a lot. There's so much that we're not actually even going to be able to read verse by verse through the text. I'm going to hit some key points, and I'm going to leave it to you to go home and, and read the text. Fortunately, it's a, it's a story that we're familiar with. Joseph is in jail. He's in prison. Um, and he's been elevated, actually, to fairly high status, especially considering he's a foreigner. He's Hebrew in an Egyptian prison, and, and he's got very high status. The prison is blessed because of him. And we find that two other men, a cupbearer and a, uh, a baker, and not just a cupbearer or a baker, but the chief cupbearer and the chief baker of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, are in prison with him. And both of them have dreams. And they can't figure out what these dreams mean. And Joseph is able to discern what the dreams are. We know this story. And because of this, when Pharaoh in chapter 41 has a dream, the cupbearer, who survived the, the interpretation of the dream, you'll see that in a second, um, he's able to say, hey, there's this guy in jail who interprets dreams. His name is Joseph. He's Hebrew. And Joseph then interprets Pharaoh's dream. And if you recall, the interpretation is that there's going to be an abundance of crop. There's going to be an overabundance in the land. And what we need to and then after 7 years of overabundance there's going to be famine. 7 years of it. And because of his discernment and wisdom Pharaoh asks him, "What should we do?" And he comes up with a plan to store a fifth of the grain every year for the 7 good years and then ration it out for the 7 years of famine. And Joseph saves Egypt, and what we soon see is that he saves the entire known world. 
because of his wisdom and his discernment. All right, and so that's in two chapters. That's a brief summary. I, I wanted you to hear that. I want you to know where this is going. We're not going to forsake the story for the sake of points, um, but there are some things that we need to get across. And the first, actually, it's before this chapter. <clears throat> if you recall last week, Joseph was in Potiphar's house. And as he's in Potiphar's house, everything seems to go well for Potiphar. He doesn't have to worry about anything. All he has to worry about is what are we going to eat for dinner? And not like where is it going to come from. Literally like what are we going to cook and have for dinner? We have so many options. And so Potiphar is pleased with Joseph. You see it all the time. Potiphar knows, hey, the Lord is with Joseph. I like this guy. He's good. But then all of a sudden Potiphar's wife has other plans for Joseph. She is lusting after Joseph. And when Joseph is resilient and resists her temptations, she frames him. And immediately, Joseph is no longer to Potiphar an asset, but a liability. And just like that, without, without any investigation, without any concern for the truth of the matter, Potiphar puts Joseph in jail. And so now a similar thing happens in jail. Joseph, J- Joseph, the Bible says, this is verse 1 of chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer and the king of, uh, of the king of Egypt and his baker committed offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Do you see where Joseph is at this point? Joseph is one of those guys who has all the luxuries that you could possibly have in prison. The king's cupbearer, the king's chief baker, they're in jail. And whose custody are they under? Joseph's. Why? Well, we saw at the end of chapter 39, it was because the Lord was with Joseph and everything that Joseph did, the Lord made succeed. And so the, the guards, the, the, the chief officers of the prison that Joseph is in, see that it is beneficial to recognize Joseph. It's good for the, for the whole prison to recognize Joseph. And then later, after these people have their dreams, uh, the, the cupbearer has the dream. And if you remember, uh, there, the dream was that wine was before him. And the wine was on three branches, and as soon as it budded, it blossomed, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hands, the hands of the cupbearer. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. And Joseph says, here's what this dream means. In three days, you're going to be released on to Pharaoh, and he's going to lift you up. You're going to be exalted. And so you hear this, you're in jail, you want your job back. And so the cupbearer hears Joseph say, good things are coming for you. And the cupbearer is ecstatic. And he says, when this happens, when this happens, Joseph, because you've been good for me, I won't forget you. And then we see that he gets out. Joseph is no longer an asset, but a liability. You don't want to be that guy that's now got Pharaoh's ear who's saying, hey, now that I have your ear, why don't you start doing me, can you do me this favor? Remember, um, remember I was in jail when I had a dream. And this Hebrew named Joseph, he interpreted the dream and he was right. Could you maybe remember him in prison? The the cupbearer doesn't do that. He forgets Joseph because Joseph is no longer an asset. And then as this story ends, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He interprets it correctly. He's wise in the advice that he gives Pharaoh. And, And literally scripture says that there was nothing that Pharaoh withheld from him except for the throne. 
That means that Joseph was second in command of all of Egypt. There was Pharaoh, the capital K, king of Egypt. And then there was Joseph, his vassal king, over everything. Why? Because Joseph was an asset to Pharaoh and to Egypt. So Joseph dies. We move forward to Exodus. Because Joseph, in some ways, becomes a representative head. He represents to Pharaoh and to Egypt who Israel is. God's promises. And while it's beneficial for Pharaoh and for Egypt, they regard it and remember it and hold it in high esteem. But then we get to the first chapter of Exodus. And what does it tell us? There's a new Pharaoh in charge. There's been a turnover. They've forgotten Joseph. And all of a sudden, the Israelite people are not a benefit. They're not an asset. They're not a blessing in the ways that they understand it. They're a potential liability because they are growing in number. And fairly soon, they will outnumber the Egyptians in Egypt. And as some of you may know, (laughs) that's something that, that people tend to be afraid of. And, and so they're no longer a blessing. They're no longer a means of moving forward. Um, and you say, well, what's the point? I, I was really, I, this has been sticking with me since earlier in the week. And I've been trying to say, I've been trying to find ways to like, get it out of the sermon. Um, but we, we, we find ourselves in a particular place in this country where as a church it is no longer beneficial we are no longer a political benefit, but rather a liability. More and more, biblical doctrine, Christian values fail to win you elections. And in fact, they they hurt you in elections. And so while I, I try to say as much as I can, Joseph is, our, Joseph is pointing us to Jesus, and he is. We need to remember this. That it has always been the case that when the church is a blessing, when God's people are a blessing and of importance and value and, and the culture and the world and those, the powers that be can get something out of it, namely votes or more power or money, then there's a great love for the church. There's a great... There's this great choice to even use the language of the church in order to maybe get more blessings. We're going to find that Pharaoh says that in Joseph is the spirit of God. Pharaoh doesn't know what he's talking about. That's not an Egyptian understanding. That's an understanding from God. But he uses that language so that Joseph will continue to serve and be a blessing for him. And in the same way, we've seen for a long time our language used in such a way because it is beneficial, or it has been, to appeal to the church. And, and I don't say this to discourage you. I say this to remind you of Joseph. Because Joseph could have been discouraged. Man, I was with Potiphar. Everything was going well. Didn't he see that it was my love for the Lord and my adherence to, to godly principles? Didn't he see that that was why he was being blessed? And he didn't even take the time to see if this charge that's been put against me is right or wrong. He just threw me out as soon as he thought it wasn't beneficial. And man, didn't the prison, didn't the prison guards or, or didn't the cupbearer, di- didn't they see how beneficial it was? Well, everything I've done, I've said it's because the Lord is the one who owns dreams and their interpretations. It's because the Lord is in me. Don't they see that? And now I'm not beneficial to them anymore. And they've turned their backs on me. It would have been easy for him to become downcast and downtrodden. And, and I honestly, I feel that in, in, in our, 
with our brethren sometimes. I feel that downcastness. Don't you remember what made this place great? It was biblical principles and and, and this, that, or the other. And now you're, you're turning from it. And so you now have this opportunity to respond like Joseph. Why wasn't Joseph downtrodden? Because he knew the Lord was with him. Why can you have joy? Because the Lord is with you. Why could Joseph have joy? Because he remembered the promises of God. He had that dream. And he was highly exalted over everyone else. And so he could hold fast to the promise of God. And we have that promise too. There is a kingdom coming that is not capitalist or socialist where policies are not determined by popular vote or by courts, but by God Almighty. Where our blessings are guaranteed because Jesus is our reward and he rules. There's no economic scare. There's no um, depression, right? There's abundance. There's no wars that, that, that just never seem to stop. There's no scandals and lack of transparency. There's, and, and this doesn't matter whether you're conservative or liberal because that's what everybody's been talking about for the last I don't know how many years. There's none of that. There's the kingdom of God. And so if you are a Christian, no matter what happens in this nation, one way or the other, hold fast to hope. Because we've been given a promise. We've been given a dream even greater than Joseph's dream. Because Joseph's dream was fulfilled. He was over his brothers. His brothers bowed down to him. And then he died. But we have the promise, the dream of Jesus who's coming back, the first fruits of the resurrection, and he will glorify our bodies. He will glorify this earth. He will redeem this earth. He will make all things new, and they will not fade away. There, there's no decay in the kingdom of God. There's no inflation in the kingdom of God. There is just joy forever. So hold fast to that hope. Be engaged politically however you see fit. That, uh, that's, it's really not about that. It's really about however you see fit. When things don't go the way that you know they should, remember that that's because America, though she may be the best kingdom of man, is still the kingdom of man, not the kingdom of God. And so I think of, um, there's this blogger, and author, his name is Trevin Wax, and he posted a blog this week just talking about everything that happened. And he said this, and, and I think it's so true. Um, we as a church have to stop believing and stop essentially fooling ourselves into thinking that we are the moral majority and to start living like the missional minority. Live on mission. That was a long aside, but I think it's important, and we see it. And so we move into the story of Joseph. Um, And so here we are. Let's start with (coughs) let's start with Genesis forty, verse five. And if you have your Bibles turned there, if you've got a phone, touch and flip till you get there. One night, they, being the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody, In his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. 
So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cups and cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I indeed was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. Do you hear that? That's, that's quite interesting, the play on words that Joseph uses. He is saying that the same thing that my brothers did to me, your people have done to me. My brothers threw me in a pit for no good reason, except that I was loved by my father. And likewise, your people throw me into a pit. It's remarkable how much this is like Jesus Who gave Jesus up? It was his own people. They were the ones who conspired against him. But then ultimately, who sentenced him to death? It was the Romans. There was not one person, there was not one people group that did not conspire against the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, there is not one person, not in this room, not in this world, that through their rebellion against God and through their desire to see themselves as Lord over all of their lives has not betrayed Jesus and turned him over to the pit. But Jesus continues to bless just like Joseph continued to bless. I just wanted to point that out. So, the chief cupbearer gets this favorable dream from Joseph. And so you can imagine the chief baker, is what it says in 16, saw that the interpretation was favorable. He said to Joseph, okay, good, good. I, I had a dream and it's funny. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of similar. So he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost cake baskets, there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. So there's one slight difference. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Here comes the twist. From you, I like that even in um, even in the Bible, there's there's the the hyphens. It, it lets you know that he kind of paused for dramatic effect, which I think is kind of mean. Um, well, sir, because because the 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 cupbearer just had the same thing. Hey, in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head, and you're going to be restored. All right, Baker, in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head from your shoulders. You know, it's not like oh, that's not what I was hoping for, and hang you on a tree. Because cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. I mean, it seems remarkably similar. Um, if you remember when Bert preached a few weeks ago, he was talking about those goats. What do you do with those goats? Um, and and, and in, in Levitical law, we, we get this idea of the two goats, and one is a scapegoat, and, 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 and he gets killed, and one goes free, and here we've got two prisoners with Joseph, and by the sovereign choice of God, one of them is blessed and raised up with Pharaoh, and one of them is cursed, beheaded and hung from a tree. I don't know how, um, but he was. Perhaps not beheaded, but his, fair, his head was lifted from him. He, he was killed. It's just interesting how the Lord chooses to show Joseph his goodness and both the fact that he's with him. Because these dreams are similar, but if you remember, interpretations come from the Lord, and Joseph is given to interpret these dreams. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer, and 
the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. And then, as we talked about earlier, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So, we begin to see something that's happening in Joseph. Joseph has, and, and it, was, it was foreshadowed in his childhood. He has this ability not just to dream dreams. That's not, that's not the thing of it. It's not just that he dreams dreams, but that he can interpret and discern dreams. This is how God has uniquely gifted Joseph. And while we're not going to read all of this passage with Pharaoh, what we see is that Pharaoh has a dream and he can't remember it. And, and the dream is, is that there are seven grains that, well, first there are seven cows that are attractive and they're fat and they're plump and they're good for eating and, and they're good. And then seven ugly, thin, just not good for slaughtering cows. They eat the other cows, at which point he knew it was a dream, right? Uh, just they gobble up these other cows, these thin cows. And so he wakes up and I don't know if you've ever, have you woken up from a dream before thinking that was horrible? I'm glad I don't have to endure that again. And then the second you fall asleep, it's like you would just hit pause, right? And it starts playing, you know, oh, come on. Um, Pharaoh has a similar thing, or right? It's not cows anymore, but rather it's um, ears of grain, seven plump ears of grain. So he's like, okay, good, I don't have to. See these thin cows devouring those fat cows. Grain, that's nice. I can, I can rest in that. And then all of a sudden, these thin ears swallow up the plump ears. And oh, he wakes up and, and of course he remembers it because he's troubled by it and no one can interpret his dream. No one in Egypt, none of the wise men. And this is when the cupbearer remembers there was this Hebrew man named Joseph who rightly interpreted both my dream and that baker who you hung his dream too. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. And in verse 15 of chapter 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. <coughs> Excuse me. So I've heard it said that you're a dream interpreter. And now listen to Joseph. Joseph answers Pharaoh, it's not me. I can't do it. It's not in me. It's God. How willing are you when people are pouring praises upon you to rightly deflect that praise, not to your intellect, not to your hard work, not to your go-get-it attitude, but rather to God who blesses and who is with you. Joseph's spirit is right. It's not in me that these things are happening. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them. That means they didn't get fat, right? Like we didn't, these thin cows didn't eat the fat cows, and then all of a sudden they're plump, steak-ready cows, right? They're still thin and meager, then I awoke, verse 22, I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, seven ears, withered and thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted up after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, and, but there was no one who could explain it to me. And so Joseph says to Pharaoh, verse 25, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. Now do you see, um, 
Do you already see even a little difference in the dreams that he interprets for the prisoners and the dreams that he interprets for Pharaoh? Um, Joseph is able to discern when two dreams that are somewhat different in nature, when they have different meanings and when they have the same meanings. Why? Because God is with him, as we'll see in a little bit. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The seven, the dreams are one, 27, chapter 41. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears, blighted by the east wind, are also seven years, seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about, what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream, that you had it twice, means that the thing is fixed by God and that God will bring it about shortly. So let's, let's pause for a second here. Because if you remember, when Pharaoh says to Joseph, hey, I hear you interpret dreams. He says, it's not in me. He's, he says, it's God. But what does he say? He says, God will interpret it favorably for you. Seven years of Famine, unlike your world has ever known, does not seem favorable. Right? What if, what if God said to you, you will have seven years where for all seven years you, you get advancements in your job, you make all the money that you could ever need or imagine or want, but because I'm a good God and I love you, the next seven years you're going to lose your job. You're going to have a whole bunch of debts called upon you. You're going to be foreclosed on. You're going to lose everything. How is it that God can say that it's favorable? And it brings me back to what I said last week, which seems to be the theme of this. And it brings me back to what I said at the beginning of this sermon You can say it's favorable because God is with you. Whether in abundance or in famine, God is your God. God was with Pharaoh. He was with Egypt. How? Through Joseph. Let's say that the economy does not turn up. Let's say the economy keeps collapsing. Let's say that things get to a place as has never been seen in the United States. Can we say that it's because God has removed his presence? No. God's presence is here in this country. Why? Because his church is here. You are the body of Christ. You are the presence of Jesus Christ in this place. Whether we are in abundance or whether we are in famine, whether we are at peace or at war, it does not matter. The Lord is here because his people are here. And so Joseph says, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the foods of the good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Have we heard that said about anyone yet? In Genesis? Joseph is full of the Spirit of God. And so Pharaoh sets him up, second in command. He says, as you've said, you know, make it so. You know, just, you'll be my number one. 
make it so. Uh, and, <clears throat> and so, already we begin to see that, that Joseph is both discerning in his ability to interpret dreams, filled with the Spirit, and he's wise. He's discerning and wise because he's filled with the Spirit. And so the question becomes, well, why is this story in here? Um, and it was interesting. I read s- several commenters <clears throat> who pointed out that we have to remember the context of when the Pentateuch was given. When were these books? When was Genesis written? Who is it given to? It was given to the people of God while they wandered in the wilderness. It was given to the Israelites as they were about to transition from Moses to Joshua. And what we see in Isaac and in Jacob is much similarity to David. Abraham. But Joseph isn't like Abraham. Abraham, if you remember in Genesis 15, he has a dream. He's he's put into, really, you can't even call it a dream. It's it's more like a daze. It's more like John, the apostle, when God reveals to him what we now have collected as the book of Revelation. He's put into a state. And he has this vision. And in the vision, God says to him, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs. He's a prophet. He has this prophetic vision. Whereas Abraham has prophetic vision. Joseph has the spirit and wisdom to discern it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus, or sorry, Deuteronomy 34 for just a second. Last time I read through scripture, for some reason, I just got very choked up at the death of Moses. Here's this faithful man who's so faithful. His reward is that in spite of the fact that he's been punished and can't enter the land, God sends him up a mountain and lets him see the promised land. And then when he dies, he's buried by God himself. That's amazing. God gives Moses eulogy. It says in verse 5, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, and he, he, God, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab. And no one knows his burial place. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. So now what? Now what? Who will lead? It's Joshua. And it says in verse 9, Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. Do you see that? Do you see already there's this resemblance to Joseph? He was full of the spirit of wisdom. Pharaoh says the exact same thing about Joseph. Full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen, what? A prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses, for his people, was a prophet. Moses, for his people, was the one who gave them this promise. He conveyed from God the promise that you will enter the land. You will be freed from Egypt, and you will enter the promised land. So was Abraham. The beginning of the Abraham saga is this. You will be the father of many nations, and you will have the land. You're going to be in another land for 400 years, but then the land that I promise you will be yours. Moses is, is a lot like Abraham. And Joshua is 
a lot like Joseph. And what the commenters were pointing out is that part of this has to be intentional. That Moses is saying to them, in the same way that it was beneficial for the people of Israel to submit to and follow the wisdom of Joseph, so you ought to, when I'm gone, follow the wisdom and the leadership of Joshua. And so there are these very interesting parallels between them. Abraham and Joseph, Moses and Joshua. And what I want to do for a second is say that while we can draw some some comparisons, I want to look at how their roles are different for just a second. And then we're actually going to be done. First, Abraham. Abraham is a prophet, yes. He receives a vision from the Lord of what is to come. He receives, thus says the Lord, he exchanges with God on behalf of his people, right? God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham says, well, what if 40, 20, 10, 1? Yeah, it doesn't get that far, but, but he is exchanging with God on behalf of the people in the same way. How many times does Moses go up that mountain? And God's like, I'm done. <laughs> Dunzo, we're going to kill these people. We're going to start over. And Moses says, no, God, remember your promises. What would the nations say if you, if you wiped out these people? Right? So they both act as prophet in some sense, interceding on, but they're different. Moses, or Abraham, sorry. Abraham is our father. The father of many nations, the father of the family of faith. In many ways, he's the author of all of this. And then there's Joseph, who's full of the spirit and wise, just like Joshua, yes. But Joseph, because of the blessings that God has given him, becomes the savior of all the world. And then we move to Moses, because Joshua is forgotten. And Moses, the greatest prophet that there is. What's interesting is that Moses is a prophet. He also goes before, he goes, he acts as a go-between Um, With God and the people, he acts as a priest, and he's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He's, He's king. He's prophet, priest, and king. You could actually say the same of Abraham, and you could say the same of Joseph, but what's highlighted in Scripture is that Joseph is, or that Moses is the greatest prophet that Israel ever had and will ever have. He is... He is the great liberator of his people. He frees them. And then there's Joshua, full of the spirit, valiant, brave. He's their conqueror. He crosses the Jordan with them, and he is ready. He's ready to go in. He's ready to take down cities. He's ready to fight and conquer for the people of God. So Moses or Abraham is the author of this family. Joseph is the savior of this family. Moses is the liberator of this family. And Joshua is the conqueror for this family. And Jesus is all of the above and to a greater extent. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He doesn't just author it, he perfects it. He is our savior. He saves us from spiritual famine and death. He's full of the Spirit of God. It's poured out on on him like a dove. He's full of wisdom and discernment. One thing that's amazing to me is that Pharaoh says to Joseph, just because Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh says to Joseph, the Spirit of God is in this one. Just from him interpreting a dream. And if you remember, he was looking for his wise men to interpret dreams also. And it just makes me think of John chapter 1, when Jesus is calling disciples, and Philip and Nathaniel come to Jesus. Philip's already met Jesus and says to Nathaniel, come and see this, this man who, who's the Messiah. He's out of Nazareth. And Nathaniel doesn't believe it. He says, what good can come out of Nazareth? Right? Certainly not the Messiah. I know from Scripture, the Messiah comes from Bethlehem. What good can come from Nazareth? So he's He's a skeptic. And Nathaniel goes to Jesus, and Jesus says, look, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. 
How do you know me, Nathanael says. And, and then Jesus says to Nathanael, before Philip called you to come see me, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And we, we know that this isn't just Nathaniel sitting under some fig tree in the middle of town square because of his reaction. If, if Nathaniel had been just anywhere where anyone could have seen, he would have been like, okay, so you saw me in, under the fig tree. But his reaction is this. In John 1, verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So he goes from what good can come out of Nazareth to you are God's son. That's a big turn. That's not, okay, I'm willing to hear you out on this. That's, I'm willing to potentially blaspheme God because I, you've shown me something that no one else could. Jesus does what Joseph does for Pharaoh to a greater extent. And he recognizes it because he's full of the Spirit and wisdom, and he's our Savior. And in the same way that Moses delivered his people out of the slavery of Egypt, Jesus has delivered us and will deliver us out of the slavery of our own sin and out of, this, out of, out of exile in this land that is not our own. And just like Joshua was a conqueror for his people, Jesus conquered death when he died on the cross and when he rose again. And he's coming back <laughs> Not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king on a white horse ready for battle. And we as people will be armed, but we don't do anything. We just watch as Christ our conqueror comes and he defeats evil and death and sin and all of its consequences once and for all. He will cast them in the pit, finalizing his victory, and then he will sit as king like Abraham, like Joseph, like Moses. And he will rule with wisdom and compassion like Joshua, like David, like Solomon. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And if you don't, if you don't see that from this, if you think this is a stretch, I'm actually just going to finish up John chapter 1. Because Jesus says to Nathaniel, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now we're in Genesis, so we ought to remember a story similar to this, right? Jacob, in his sleep, in this vision, sees heaven opened up and a ladder from heaven to earth. And he sees the angels of the Lord ascending and descending upon the ladder. And he's left with the same plight that everyone is left with until Jesus. How do I get up that ladder? David says it. Who will ascend God's holy hill? How do we get up the mountain? And Jesus says, no, look. I was there and I came down. And furthermore, what are the angels ascending and descending on? It's not a ladder anymore. It's the son of man. So I came down, and now I will bring you up there with me. Jacob's story was not about Jacob. It was about me. Joseph is not about Joseph. It's about me. In fact, we should all be having this end of Luke moment, this road to Emmaus moment where we see that all the law and the prophets are about Jesus, our author, our Savior, our deliverer, and our conqueror, and ultimately our king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for Jesus. Everything that, everything that Abraham, and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and all these heroes of the faith, everything that they almost were for us, Jesus was fully, and that was not by accident, but rather by your design. It was your great and glorious will that all might hear the truth of the gospel and turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. 
And now, God, as we live faithfully, um, let us be as Joseph was to those suffering from the famine in Egypt. Let us be a blessing. Let us be a reminder that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he cares deeply and that he is good to us even in the worst of circumstances. That he is bringing forth a kingdom where there is no poverty or need or hunger or famine. And it's in his name that we pray. As we continue to work our way through Genesis, we see how very imperfect people are put in places to go out and spread a very perfect message. We've had the chance here today to see a group of young, young, young adults, young people, as well as a group of adults who are ready to travel to Italy and spread that message as well. We've had an opportunity here as we share benevolence to, to help others who are less fortunate than us. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, it says, let no, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public, reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which is given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your, and your hearers. As we leave here today, remember, it's, it's our calling to share this message in the way we live and in the way we speak and share the gospel. Peace be with you.